Hello, my friends. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm extraordinary. I always am so, but tonight, I feel it. I feel alive. I am alive. I'm living. Truly. Well, somewhat truly, for now. Oh, but it's so beautiful, the night sky. Even if you've killed all the stars here, it's so much blacker than I remember. And it's so very loud now. Awake. It's awake all of the time. I walked the streets and I was so far from alone. Far from alone. I was ready. And I was rewarded. <laughs> and I'm full. Full of joy. Full of awe. Full of life. Even if it isn't mine. Full of life. How are you? You must be extraordinary, too. You must always be extraordinary. No wonder you create such busy, colorful, uproarious things. Your art is brutally alive and obscenely vibrant. And I understand why I understand now. So much you have at your fingertips. So much you can access. You're never alone, are you? What do you have to be afraid of, my friends? The night was burning with man-made light and the smells of food and drink and smoke. You must never be hungry. How could you be? I feel invincible. If I'm being honest with you, of course I am invincible and have been for quite some time, but now I truly, truly feel it. If you could roam the streets and have at your fingertips all of the food, the drink, the smoke, the music, the company, the entertainment, the adventure, the sky, the trees, the roads, the lights, would you? It's there, my friend. What's keeping you from it? What was keeping me from it? Onwards and upwards, as they say. <laughs> up, up, up. There was once a woman who went up in flames. Well, there have been thousands hundreds of thousands over the years who have met such a fate, I regret to say. But this woman did it especially well. She lived in a little town that was hugely misguided. The people were once happy and peaceful in it. Her family included a long line of women who were expert healers, midwives, herbalists. Yes, they knew spells. Yes, they performed rituals. And even though they knew the dark spells and rituals by heart, they never performed them. They had no reason to. 
They helped the townspeople with their problems, and they were respected and honored. This woman's family, though not rich in terms of gold or possession, never wanted for food or comfort or company. And the town knew a gentle and humble kind of prosperity. Until things changed, as they do. People came. People with a very specific, very rigid, and inflexible and cruel kind of belief. And they insinuated their ways on the town. For whatever reason, it stuck. It stuck, and it grew, and it festered among them. You can be better. You are not good now, but you can be good. You can be great even, but you must suffer first. You must weed out the sin among you and draw it out from your people like poison from a wound. Otherwise, the devil will enter the wound and it will take over. The devil, they said, as though they had even the slightest understanding of what that phrase, that horrible uttering, meant. The townspeople, in their simple and trusting way, began to believe this. Yes, they agreed, weed out the sin, draw out the poison, save us, make us good again. But they didn't know what they were agreeing to, the poor fools. She was now the last of her long, proud line, this woman. She lived alone in her mother's cottage, which had belonged to her mother's mother before her, and her mother's mother's mother, and so on and so forth. A small place outside of town, isolated from the rest of the people who inhabited it. It was surrounded by a wild garden of flowers and herbs that grew in beautiful, unruly swarms around her home. Vines climbed along the outer walls, Deer, rabbits, ducks, and other gentle creatures roamed in this beautiful garden and were her constant companions. She remembered being a small child and playing in these weeds, under the weeping willow trees, with the children of the town whose mothers gladly brought their children to play in the healer's garden. And, even as an adult woman, she often walked among it and sat under the willows still. The wind whispered to her sweet poems. The flowers offered the most lovely smells. The bushes provided sweet, nourishing berries. And the sun wrapped her up in a warm, orange embrace. She had wanted for nothing. For in exchange for cures for their children's ailments, blessings for their livestock and farmland, or anything else they may need that the wise women could provide, the people would leave food and supplies on the doorstep once a week. This was a tradition that had passed from one wise woman to the next. They had no need for gold and silver. Just a little to live on. It was such a small price for the town to pay, and for so long they gladly did so. However, for perhaps about a year since the new, zealous folk had come and changed their peaceful ways, the townsfolk slowly stopped coming for help, and as such, stopped bringing their gifts. The woman was perhaps 
briefly hurt. But, fair enough, she thought, I shall go into town and purchase my own supplies. No need to take their goods if they require none of mine. And when the townspeople stopped welcoming her into their shops and refused to sell anything to her, she thought, fair enough, I shall farm for myself and raise my own hens and live quietly on my own land. I am comfortable on my own. I need nothing but my garden and my own company. And when the outside of her home was vandalized with cow's blood and curse words, she thought, Fair enough. I shall clean it off and surround my home with a peaceful blessing. They are entitled to their opinion of me. I have no need to change it or control their beliefs. The tide is turning, and so shall I. But when she heard the loud knocks on her door and the angry, pious men shouting that she was a damned witch and the devil's bride, and the demand that she appear before a court of law to answer for her evil, sinful ways, well, she had decided she had had enough. You see, my friends, she was no devil's bride. She was, in fact, no one's bride except perhaps nature's. But to these Puritans, it was all the same. Nature was the devil. Woman was the devil. Gazing at the night sky, dancing alone in a field of barley, sitting peacefully under a willow tree, reading an ancient book of knowledge. These things were the devil. They had no idea, none whatsoever, of what they spoke why one would want to focus so very heavily on the most negative aspects of one's faith, she could not begin to comprehend. She pitied them, in fact. However, as I said, she knew the old spells, light and dark alike. To even call them light and dark is reductive. A spell is a spell, and a spell has a function and a function need not always be good or bad. It can simply just be. This was the thing that annoyed her the most about these simple people. They decided that things were good and that things were bad. A cow refusing to give milk is not bad, it simply is what it is. A tree bearing no fruit is not evil. A child with an illness is not the product of malice. However, because she had helped with these things in the past, it was deduced that she had the power to make these things turn the other way. It is revenge for us no longer offering her tribute, the townspeople said. The witch is taking her revenge. No. No, revenge had nothing to do with reciprocity. They rejected her help, and thus they no longer had it. Was it not simple? Deep in her heart, she knew an ugly truth that she was trying not to face about the people that she once loved. She knew that even if they did not think she was taking revenge, even if they believed she would simply live in her cottage and amble around her garden and be peaceful and quiet, as was the case, they would still come for her. They feared her now. They feared the librarian's wife, who enjoyed writing stories. They feared the farmer's daughter, who whittled wooden dolls. 
Of course they feared her. At any rate, the men came to the door, pounding, and she answered it calmly. I will come with you, she answered, and offered her hands for the restraints willingly. They locked her in the back of the carriage and took her to City Hall, where she answered every question honestly. Yes, I create what you call potions. Yes, I've given charms to the people of the village. No, the devil, as you call it, did not come to me in the night. No, I did not dance at midnight in a witch's Sabbath. Don't be ridiculous. They did not much like her tone. They did not like her calm, perhaps even perturbed demeanor. Yes, I am aware of the severity of these charges, she answered calmly. Yes, I am aware of the punishment for witchcraft. The people were confounded. Why was she so brazen? Why didn't she care that she would be put to death? Why wouldn't she repent? I have nothing to repent, she answered. I've done only good in my life. I have cured your ailments, I have blessed your crops, I have eased your sorrows, I have brought your children into this world. I have nothing that I regret. Well, that was it, according to the Inquisitor. A pyre must be made, and she must burn at the stake. They tied her to the stake, and they made their prayers for her repentance even still. The townspeople crowded round, and she confidently looked each of them in the eye. How humiliating that they were tying her, she thought. I would have stood still. They asked her if she had anything else to say, any final words. She nodded and said softly, You have one last chance to regain your sanity, one last chance to do in your hearts what you must know to be right. You have lost enough wives, daughters, and sisters to this insanity. I have never hurt a single one of you in my life, but... And they were all shocked and chilled to the bone at the blackness of expression that passed over her eyes as she said the next part. I would not do this thing if I were you. She threatens us, they cried. She will bring the devil on us. Burn her at once. Do it now. She sighed and shook her head as they brought the torch to the pyre. The fire started at her feet, yet she didn't flinch. It climbed up quickly to her legs. No reaction. It climbed higher and higher still, and she didn't even breathe faster. Her gaze on the people didn't flinch. The flames engulfed her completely. All around she was surrounded by a brilliant, warm, orange glow. Even her dark eyes seemed to be an orange-red. She smiled. She was safe. She was unharmed. And she was blessed. They didn't know it, of course. But the town fell absolutely silent. The ropes burned and fell off of her. She stepped down. An officer raised his musket to her. 
She sighed and merely touched it, and the bullet was set off early, and the force of it propelled him backward. No one else dared raise a weapon to her. The crowd screamed and parted as she walked through them, still wreathed in flame. She passed through the town and, not without some sadness, touched each house, each shop, each building, and each one that she passed caught on fire. People shrieked and scrambled to fetch their most precious belongings. She unlocked the stable gates and let the horses run free, panicked and screaming into the forest. Then she set the stable on fire. She calmly walked through the town she once loved, had once been so warmly welcomed in, and her gentle touch raised it all to the ground. It was not her fire, you see. It was theirs. They had wrought this on themselves. The people were left with their arms full of their things. They packed up as many carriages and caravans as they could, if they could. They had to leave before the fire swallowed them up. And she walked down the hill, down the path to her little cottage. Still on fire, a blazing beacon calmly strolling home. They would not trouble her again. Perhaps for the rest of her life, no one would. What a pity, she thought to herself. I met her some years ago. I was wandering through a countryside, admiring the night sky and the willow trees and the river and the burnt ruins that stood there. Skeletons of houses, black and delicate, lovely in their own way. I knocked on the door to the little cottage down the road, and she let me in. She was happy for the company, truth be told. She was old at this point, but not weak. She still stood straight and tall. I know what you are, she told me. I asked her if that was all right if she'd rather I leave. She smiled warmly and shook her head. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of anything. To this day I consider her still a dear friend. She passed away long, long ago, of course, but I visited her several times. She was not afraid to meet with me at night and host me. She was not afraid of my bright black eyes or my sharp teeth or my marble skin. She was not afraid of death, even. She had faced him enough times to know him well. I loved her dearly, this old friend of mine. I found her confidence, her strength, and her wit to be very comforting as well as her bright orange eyes that remained glowing in her face and expression until the day that she died. 
I am not afraid of fire. I am not afraid of your smoke, your lights, and your noise. I'm here to stay. Good night, friends. See you soon. Hey everybody, hope you've all been well. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of On a Dark, Cold Night. Hope you enjoyed this story, and yeah, hope you're feeling good. So I'd just like to say again, uh, thank you guys so much for the support I've received so far. Um, I feel really lucky, very, very fortunate that I have uh, so many people who are who are interested in the podcast and who have such great things to say about it. Um... As such, I have a favor to ask. So I have less than two weeks left for people to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes to On a Dark Cold Night uh, to help me get on the new and noteworthy list there. You can rate, review, and subscribe anytime, and please do. But these next two weeks are going to be super crucial uh, just to help me get there. I have no idea how far I am or what I need, but... Um, I would love to just make a push to say, if you enjoy the show and, uh, you know, you want to make sure that it keeps going and, and gets, you know, uh, some support and, and even more people listening to it, please go to iTunes and rate and review the show. Ideally, positively, but you know, whatever. Um, but thank you guys so much for the support so far. Um, If you wanted to support the show in another way, you could go to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. Other ways, uh, please follow on social media. On Twitter, I'm at a darkcoldnight. And on Facebook as well, you can find my group there. On Instagram, I'm darkcoldnightpodcast. And uh, if you want to email and check in or, you know, drop me a line, uh, please feel free. My email is darkcoldnightpodcast at gmail.com. Also, I've got a YouTube page. If you search for On a Dark Cold Night, you will find me there. I've been releasing trailers for upcoming episodes on YouTube if you want to keep in the loop with what's going on. Um, I'm hoping to do some more stuff. If I if I get a little more, um, you know, support and I'm able to do this podcast, you know, devote more time to it in my week, um, then yeah, I will definitely be sure to add more videos and, uh, I'm also happy to hear what you want to see. If you want to see any behind the scenes stuff (laughs) and how fascinating I am behind this microphone or anything like that, um, give me a shout, uh, tweet, email, just, uh, say, Hey, and let me know what you're thinking. I'm always happy to, to hear from you guys and to uh, reply back. Anyway, thank you so much. Um, I've been having a great time. I hope you've been enjoying the podcast. Maybe it's been helping you sleep better. Maybe it's uh, just been keeping you company at night. Maybe it's been giving you some some entertainment. Whatever you get from it, I'm I'm grateful to be able to give it. And it gives me a lot too. Anyway, have a wonderful evening. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye.